you are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and also a special guest joining us in the studio today, Jacob Hillman on the line with us. On ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM. Number to call 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Find us on Twitter at Point Gardner, at Levi Fitzwater, and at Jacob underscore Hillman 3. That's how you can find us out there on social media. All of our great content there for you. Make sure you find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Jacob Joining us on the show today, baseball is in the air. Of course, I look outside the window of the studio right now. We were greeted to snow this morning, and now we are greeted to sun here in Auburn, Alabama, or at least where we're at right now. It's clear skies. There's sun in the air or in the sky, and and there's, you know, at least the weather's warming back up a little bit, and baseball to be played on Friday. If it's going to be this cold, it needs to snow. (laughs) <laughs> so, it did snow this morning. Well, yeah, well, it didn't stick. I don't. I don't count it stuck that to as, my car. Look elsewhere in the I state made a of miniature Alabama. Snowball. Yeah, look at some of the other places in the South. Go look at Alabama, in particular, Mississippi and Louisiana. They got snow. That I agree with Jacob. If it's this cold, I want snow on the ground. I want to be outside playing in it. It didn't snow as much. It, it would have stuck, but it, it wasn't like you know thick hard coming down snow i mean the ground had to be frozen right i mean there was a freeze overnight like it's just it did snow it just didn't snow enough i mean i was out driving this morning to work and it was coming down not hard and it was very tiny snowflakes but it's accumulated a little bit on a few roofs and and on some cars there was enough for me to make one snowball this morning off of my car (laughs) and throw it promptly and then boom it was gone i mean this is just a a warm summer's day back in minnesota you know i mean i didn't know where that accent (laughs) was going oh yeah i mean this is a good pop weather you get pop a hot dish you know that's just that's just good hot summer weather well one thing's for sure they're just gonna make fun of us for not being able to drive on ice oh yeah shut down the whole state it's a little too cold Baseball this Friday, Auburn taking on Presbyterian. You know, we'll we'll get into this several times throughout the show and, and throughout the season. We're going to have you on uh, multiple times with us at least every week to be able to talk about what, what what's the latest going on with Auburn baseball. And so, what are we looking at this Friday night? Obviously, there aren't any game notes out there yet about the game. There's not a whole lot of information out there, I'm sure, about Presbyterian college baseball. But let's take a look at this from an Auburn lens. You know, is it fair to say that we should be expecting a sweep this weekend from this Auburn team? Yeah, I mean, that's very possible because let's look at what we know about Presbyterian, and that's last year they went 2-14. and 14. So Auburn needs to sweep this series to get off to a good start, and they probably need to win by pretty handedly. Because Round Rock Classic's next week. No, they – yes, it is actually. Then the, the two midweeks against Alabama A&M will also be big to really dominate and get guys in that might not be starting – but then, yeah, Round Rock Classic is where we're really going to find out a lot about this Auburn baseball team. Going into this series against Presbyterian, who do you think is just going to pop 
for Auburn baseball out of the gates. Well, something that a lot of people don't know about is Bryson Ware. He is a transfer from junior college. It's a German town. It's his last school, which I don't know where that is. But no, his previous school is Pearl River, which is a JUCO. And this guy is really good. He has hit the ball very well in fall and spring practices. He had a 438-foot home run last Friday night. That guy, he hits the ball hard. And it's not like he just has power. He Where did that ball, ball land? <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. Did they find it? It was dead center field. I don't know if they found it, but it almost got stuck on. That here, had probably. to have hit a building. I'm trying to think. There's those. I don't know what they are, but it, it looks like water type towers behind center field. I mean, how far is center? At 85. A, a, oh yeah, that. Come on, that had to have yeah, hit a building. Probably, probably did, but. No, this guy is going to be very good. He's going to be in the starting lineup, I'm sure of it, because he might be Auburn's best bat this year. He's going to have the most power other than maybe Rankin Wally and maybe Stephen Williams. But it's those three guys with the power, and I think that Ware has a chance to hit the most home runs on this Auburn baseball team. Before we switch gears out of baseball and taking this way, and we'll revisit baseball several times throughout the show. We got you on for us for the full two hours today, and so – We'll, we'll touch on baseball a lot here. We don't want to use everything here before before uh, in our first segment. But but Stephen Williams, is there a return to consistency for him at the plate? You hope so. He didn't have a very consistent start to the season last year. But, you know, another year, another chance. I think that we can see some consistency with Stephen Williams. And Auburn desperately needs that power. Obviously, we saw in the Omaha run how important that was because of what he did at the plate in that Georgia Tech game. Mm-hmm. That, that, that plate appearance fueled the run if that doesn't happen Auburn doesn't play North Carolina Auburn doesn't beat North Carolina and Auburn doesn't make it to Omaha Stephen Williams is a big part of this Auburn lineup and the big thing for me about Auburn's lineup over the years and we really didn't get a good look at it last year but let's just talk about that team that went to Omaha two years ago because that's the most that's the most comprehensive look we've had at this baseball team because a lot of those guys are still on this yeah still on this team I mean you're really only missing Will Holland Tanner Burns Bailey Horn, Matt Scheffler, and Edward Julian from that team. So you you got you two got, big bats and then uh, a big time pitcher. Yeah, exactly. So you're you didn't lose a ton. You have almost, if not more than half, of that team returning. And then you're adding guys like Bryson Ware. You're adding guys like Cole Foster who might get some playing time at shortstop to give Ryan Bliss a rest during the midweeks, and he might be able to be a good pinch hitter and stuff like that. So. The outfield's the same. It's Joe Ward, Kicks and House, Stephen Williams. The infield, catcher position, is where we're going to see different things. Why is there a cause for, for cautious optimism then? Like, th- this team went, a lot of this team went to Omaha. Is it is it so much of what we saw in the, the short, abbreviated season last year? It has that to be for how For me, finished. I have reservations. You have reservations. Levi, I would assume you have reservations about this team going into this year. Yeah, lots of reserva- reservations. Basically, just off of the COVID-shortened season and how they were, you know, we said they were dropping games in the middle of the week that they shouldn't have been dropping. And that just, that's the last thing you saw. It gives you cause for concern. Can't lose to Wofford. Correct. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's just that midweeks have always been a problem for Auburn, it feels like, in the last few years. Because you'll lose a midweek game. That feels like, oh man, this is going to be bad for the resume. And then at the end of the year, Auburn does something good that makes you kind of forget about it. But you can't drop midweeks this year, especially when you might get so few of them. You know, COVID might come up and a team has to cancel their midweek game. And it hurts your RPI. 
Yeah, and they, you know, RPI is the equivalent to net in basketball. You know, they they haven't came up with a bet yet, baseball yeah. rankings. You know, like they haven't they haven't came up with the basketball version of net. It's still RPI, and if you lose in the midweek consistently, you know, you lose one or two here and there. Every big team well, loses yeah, one or two here and there. Teams like Georgia Tech, right? Or, or a great team, and even the FAMUs of the world can can True. snap up and beat you if you're playing. You know, if one of your midweek guys doesn't have his consistent doesn't have a consistent good start or or if you're one of your midweek guys if you don't have a lot of great action coming up in the midweek on the mound which typically Auburn doesn't it's possible for a team like FAMU to snap up and beat you if you're not firing on all cylinders at the plate and we've seen that in recent years with Auburn the issue is it's happened with too much consistency to where I think it hurts the RPI a little bit because you have to make up for it by beating some great teams of the SEC and we all know how difficult that is to do with consistency because we've seen Auburn make the postseason with a losing record in conference play honestly (laughs) it's to be expected that Auburn should have a losing record in conference play this team picked to finish sixth in the SEC West this upcoming year only ahead of Alabama and it's by like one point and this Alabama team could easily with the pitching staff that they have starting I'll say starting their bullpen is still a major concern for them but the starting staff is enough to and what they've got that and what they've got at the plate to a degree I think they've got some real power we've seen Alabama sweep Auburn in recent years we've seen Auburn sweep Alabama in recent years that's always a hotly contested series it seems like when Alabama's coming to the plains just eye roll right like yeah <laughs> it, it doesn't seem to go Auburn's way but my point is this Auburn team it, it doesn't have the same recruiting prowess that maybe some of the other teams in this league have and it's not Auburn's fault it's just they're not the baseball school of the Southeastern Conference. They're not your Floridas. They're not your Vanderbilts. They're not your Ole Miss or Arkansas right now. Those two teams are as hot as ever. And they're going to place for sure behind LSU, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Mississippi State, which are all known as traditional baseball schools. Then after that, you know, can they maybe get ahead of A&M? Can they get ahead of Alabama? That, you know, their their ceiling is, is fifth in the league, I feel like. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I'm, I'm with the, the coaches, their poll. I think that Texas A&M will actually finish last, and I think Alabama has a chance to finish fifth because I think that Alabama just, like you said, the starting pitching, like that's what matters. If if you have good enough starting pitching, you can live with the bullpen being a little eh because as long as the bats are doing okay, then the starting pitching compounded with that can balance out a bad bullpen. Some good college football news yesterday, obviously, and then also late Sunday night. I haven't gotten your thoughts on this yet. We haven't talked about this at all, even off air. You and I talk a lot. You know, thoughts on the Gus Malzahn stuff? I think it's a great hire for UCF, and I'm happy for Gus Malzahn because I think he can go in and really dominate. And because here's the thing I, I'm really of the, I believe that the reason the Auburn Gus Malzahn relationship ended as like it did, it's just it got stale. It got stale after eight years. And I think having a, just a rejuvenated, we saw how fired up he was in that press conference yesterday. I have not seen Gus Malzahn that fired up in years. He looked relaxed. Exactly. He looked happy. He, and, just, he looked genuinely happy. Like he, I mean, you. Everybody heard the, the comment or the question that was made to him about the pressure that UCF has, and mm-hmm. they were like, "Do you, do you understand the pressure that you're walking into?" And you saw him smirk because this man's been playing across the state from the greatest football coach of all time as many perceive him how did y'all take that question i think it was just a uh, i think it was a badly worded yeah i think it was just a, a young guy who just worded it a little bit poorly do you think he was being serious i think okay i do think that the fan base at ucf is kind of is wacky 
I mean, we saw what they tried to do with the national championship in 2017. I've talked to enough people now, and I've seen enough stuff on social media to where I've seen enough UCF fans displeased with this hire. Interesting. That they didn't want Malzahn. And I'm I'm just stunned by that. I feel like it's just a consensus all around. They Everybody thinks this is coverage. great. Yeah. yeah. They outkicked their coverage. I mean You I, don't do better than hiring Malzahn. The other I, I went back and looked through all the coaches that UCF has hired during their time. And of course O'Leary had a good pedigree behind him when he was at Georgia Tech. But the best thing that O'Leary ever did at Tech was win a Gator Bowl. Yeah. We're talking about a coach who has competed in a national championship. Playing and has beaten Nick Saban. Right, and has beaten Nick Saban. Three out of eight times. The last guy to beat Nick Saban, by right. the way. I mean, you. So don't come at me with that. Look this is the best hire you could have made. Yeah, well, look at some of the guys who got hired this year. Gus Malzahn is the upper echelon of guys hired across all of college football. Right. I mean, you look at some of the guys hired, you would take him over most of those guys in any and situation. And he's, at U, and he's at UCF. Like, I think that Malzahn will be here for a few years. I think he'll be here longer than we think. Based off the way he talked in his practice conference, I think he's going to eventually definitely go back to the Power Five. And I think he can dominate out West. I think, because my thought was like Arizona. Oh, somewhere no, like that. No, we not, talked about this yesterday. No, anywhere, no, but no, 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 anywhere but Arizona. No, really? No, we, we don't want this another is, tombstone because Kevin is, Sumlin, mm-mm. Rich Rod, we They're don't want to bury a graveyard, okay? okay they, that's they've fair. got a tombstone. They've got two tombstones out there. they got Kevin Sumlin and Rich Rod out there. That's I, where I coaches go to die. We I agree. think he could revisit and change that narrative. But no, I, I really think that this is a great hire for both both parties. I think Gus Malzahn's in a great place, and I think the. Central Florida's in a great place with him as coaching them. I mean, what's stopping him from going to Hawaii? That'd be a great one. Just put him all 2 o'clock in the morning. You're just laying there. Dude, you're not wrong. That would be fun. Something that about would be that kind of seems sounds like fun. it fits. It just sounds fun. But here's the thing. On the sideline, ditch the sweater vest. You don't wear sweater vest in Hawaii. I know. You know sweater what? vest that is floral patterned. Yes, sir. I think it's going to be I think it'll be more of the dry <laughs> fit that he's been wearing the last few years. No, you don't do that either. You got to wear you got to wear the Hawaiian shirt. If you go out there, you've got to wear the Hawaiian Hawa- shirt. Hawaiian shirt with a with a sweater vest. Let's go. Easy. I don't know about that one. Fashion tips. <laughs> the or uh, or fine, keep the sweater vest and have like a floral visor. That'd be cool. I like that too. I'd be I'd be down with that. I would be so down with that. Well, it's kind of like when Auburn was in Maui for basketball a few years ago, and they had all the coaches wearing them, and Bruce had his uh, Hawaiian shirt on. You need to see Gus in that. There you go. There you go. That'd so, be cool. That'd be really fun. I, I think that based on the way that the contract looks right now, I think what we're looking at with Malzahn, I don't know if he leaves after this year. Now, if he has a knockout year, goes to the New Year's Six, and the right power conference job opens, he's gone. But when you look at the contract, Nathan King reported this yesterday. Go and find him on Twitter, at by Nathan King, friend of the program. Nathan King tweeted yesterday the details of it. It was five-year, $11.5 million contract. That seems to me more protections for UCF than any type of protection for Malzahn because that's hardly that, – that's nothing of a buyout, and you don't expect Malzahn to have to invoke a buyout clause. You know, like that That's not going to happen. Malzahn's not going to get fired out of UCF for, for not being successful. That's more to me like – Okay, let, let's have a five-year deal. If you leave earlier than five years, which they fully expect him to, and I think that's probably understood between the two My parties. My thought was, th- I think, three years. Sure, and, and he would owe them the final two years. Unless something like came up like massive. Like if USC yeah. showed interest and got rid of Clay Hilton, I could definitely – like that's, that, that, that's a job that you want. Whoa. 
Like something like that, I would see that, you know, I like ex- that. That would expedite that process. But if a job like that doesn't come up, I could see him SC's sticking around and waiting. not hiring Gus Malzahn. I don't think so either. I'm just saying it would take something like that to sure. expedite the process of him being out. I don't think state, as in Mississippi State, you brought that up off air with me yesterday. Yeah. Like if things went really bad with Mike Leach this year and they, you know, didn't want to put up with the antics anymore. I don't think state is the right job for Malzahn either. No. it's. I don't know if there's another job at the SEC where it makes sense. Ar- Arkansas it, a little bit just because it's Arkansas. The reason I think we might think that is it feels wrong because he was at Auburn for so long. Like I still don't know career move-wise for him, though, if there's another job in the SEC where it makes sense. Arkansas fair. maybe, but... That's a hard. That's one of the toughest yeah. jobs in our league right now. That's that's getting to be borderline Kansas level in the SEC. If if Pittman can't turn it around this year, yeah, it was that flash in the pan for them for a couple of games. Like they played hard for a couple of games, but look, the record was still ugly at the end of the year. They still lost to some teams they shouldn't have lost to, like LSU. At least I felt like they shouldn't have lost LSU. I picked Arkansas to win that game this past year, and they ended up losing it. With the way LSU was playing at the time, it was fathomable to think with the way those two teams' trajectories were looking at that time. Arkansas was going up and then it hit that point and it went abruptly down LSU's took off from that point and they finished the year strong and so for me like if this Arkansas team falls apart they're the Kansas of the SEC moving forward they're the Arkansas of the SEC and so I I, see you got it you didn't at least you hate me for it yes (laughs) but they're the Arkansas of the SEC (laughs) and so I don't think that that's even the right location for him to go back other than just of course his high school football and his his you know personal ties to the state of Arkansas if you wanted to go back there but I thought Tennessee if they didn't have the potential sanctions looming over them I thought that would have been a solid go because he has family that lives in Tennessee he looked pretty good in the photoshops I saw too he, was, <laughs> so like, he, he, he looked pretty he looked mad fire bro I, I promise you. I mean I just also think that Tennessee like is you know maybe not right now but Auburn and Tennessee like you know a decade ago Tennessee would be a better job than all. It's not anymore. Don't even you know, put those two in the same sentence. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> is that you know historically Tennessee had been a better hire or a better job than they're Auburn. top ten and wins exactly. ever all time amongst active FBS programs right now. They're now, tenth now right now after everything that happened with Lane Kiffin, Derek Dooley, Butch Jones, uh, the, who was the guy they tried to hire, whoever the guy they tried to hire was Greciano, all that stuff. Jeremy Payne. Oh, I forgot all about that Shiano yeah, exactly. incident. Good after all of that. No, Tennessee is not compared to Auburn, even close. It's a decade later, and it's their worst decade ever mm-hmm. in program history. I don't know if you know this. They had six losing seasons in the 2010s. That is more than any other decade that they've ever that since the beginning of time since they've played football. The next closest decade was like two losing seasons, and that happened yeah, fairly they, often throughout throughout the years. They had two losing seasons in, in, in many decades, but. They had six in the, in the 2010s. Do they hit five? Over under here, do they hit five in the 2020s? That's a loaded question, but I'm going to say I don't think no. they out, I don't think they beat Alabama for another 5,000 days. That was the big thing that this year. True. Like They hadn't beat Alabama in 5,000 days. I don't think they beat Alabama for another 5,000. Yeah, I mean, no. That's such a great follow on Twitter. If y'all follow yeah. the <laughs> – since UT has beaten Alabama and they just tweeted out every day the amount of numbers, that's such a great follow. Yeah, I, they won't beat Alabama in the next five years. I mean, well, 5,000 days is like – Yeah, they'll – 5,000 days. It's been that long. Oh, you think you don't think they're going to beat them again in another five thousand days? Correct. Okay, that's bold. I think they'll get one win in the next 
five, not five years, 10 years. So here's my point. Hoipel is not the coach to pull them out of this mess. And if there truly is as bad of NCAA sanctions as that letter to Good Jeremy point. Pruitt, they're, they're, they are toast for the next five years of this year, yeah. or not this year, but this decade. They're toast for the first five years of this decade, which they've already started off poorly in 2020. So they're toast up until like 2025, and that's when they could finally start rebuilding, right? Yeah, okay, you're right about that. Right so then that. you've got another five years to try and build up. And who knows what Alabama looks like in, in you know six years. Like, is Nick Saban still coaching? But Nick Saban did just sign the best recruiting class of all time, according to 24-7 Sports Composite Rankings. So they're, they're set for another four years. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a long time. I think Tennessee, it depends on the sanctions. It depends on the sanctions. And we don't that's know fair. what that's going to be. When so. the sanctions happen, we'll, we will then make we, a final judgment right, yes. we will come on back Tennessee. To this. <laughs> a final and I, judgment. And I would like that leeway as well, because if they don't have sanctions, I don't know if it is another 5,000 days. Oh, yeah, definitely not. That's, and, a, that's and, a long time. And, and I think... I think Hoyfel's out. How you say his last name? I think he'll do good enough to get them in a position to rebuild. I don't think he's the guy to necessarily bring them back to the Philip Fulmer days, party like it's '98. But that's 13 years, guys. I know, and that's 13 years. Yeah, I just looked it up. I like, had to look up be, and see how many. That would be a that Kentucky losing to Florida kind of stretch of 26 yeah. years. It's possible. It's possible. What do you think? Phone lines are open 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are listening to On The Line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and Jacob Hillman. Auburn baseball will be taking on Presbyterian College Open today. Not too far away. Auburn softball was in action this past weekend maddie penta sec co-freshman of the week she threw a no-hitter in her collegiate debut it's spring season guys even though it snowed this morning it's still february <laughs> but spring sports are on the way i mean this is what i'm you talking should, about this is what you should expect at the start of spring sports it's never warm it's always cold like this imagine how bad it is for the people up north on oh, the other side that, of the mason dixon line yeah or think, in texas i think minnesota is yeah. like negative 22 today or like negative 10. It's something outrageous. Well, they all come down here to play us because they can't play ball up there because their fields are still frozen and obviously there's st- still snow in the air and everything. And and then they find out there's inclement weather down here and it's like, but our inclement weather, we're not prepared for it. We're, and it's we're ice. We're not. <laughs> we don't have a way to get rid of it. I remember playing high school baseball. There was times where it was snowing while we played high school baseball out in like real town and stuff. It was it's crazy thing. In Alabama, you had a day where you played a a baseball game, a legitimate baseball, not an exhibition, an actual in-season game, and it was snowing. It's wild. I talked to a lot of high school coaches in the area, not not only from doing play-by-play as well as you do, Jacob, for for Lee Scott Academy, but also the the play-by-play and the color commentary I do for Auburn High Athletics. Also, I mean, I talked to several coaches in the area, and like they're all. If you're not a basketball coach this time of year, which even some basketball coaches might get frustrated this time of year just because it's playoffs and, you know, that that's going to come with, you know, stress and everything. But I talked to spring sports coaches that are just getting started, you know, baseball coaches, soccer coaches and everything. I talked to several in the last 24 hours. They're all frustrated. They're like, are we ever going to get to play? Well, yeah, that's how it was. I remember in high school when I was playing golf. That's right. So, you so many times the tournaments, matches would get canceled because it was just too cold. You couldn't play in that. And – I don't know. There's something you can do about it. It's Mother Nature. So the only thing I can think is, yeah, I don't know. Never mind. I was going to say move some spring sports to the fall, like soccer and, and golf. 
but like you're gonna have to keep baseball and softball in the spring. Well, they keep trying to play soccer in the fall anyway by running these kickers out in football. I'm so tired of that. <laughs> I'm just also, done with you have them. to keep in mind though, you're playing. Most teams will play their soccer games on the football field, and so oh, you can't yeah. do that in the same Good season point. because if you're not playing on turf, right, you're gonna tear that field up. Right, just do baseball and football at the same time. That'd be fun. Give us plenty to watch. Sometime around October. If they started like around basketball season, you'd have basketball, football, and baseball going on. Let's go. I'm here for it. See, but nobody wants to do that either, though, because football <laughs> players a lot of times will play baseball at that, that level, Yeah, too. that is I true. I mean, there's a lot of crossover. The way we've got the sports calendar oh, it's, set it's up perfectly is fine. Set, it's Just perfectly deal with set the up. weather, guys. Yeah, Mother Nature sucks. Oh, man. Wear me, some long sleeves and, and let's Jacob, play some baseball. When me and Jacob went to the oh. Kansas City Royals game, I'm pretty sure it was like 20 degrees and me and him were frozen we the were, entire time. I don't know why we stayed as long as we did, but because, we did. Because we went and we wanted to experience it because we were in Kansas City for the first time and oh, and you were there was for, so cold. Were, were you, were, what were you there for again? You were there for March Madness. Yeah, you were there for the final four. Yeah. So that's the end of March, too. It was, was like, say, yeah. were you all there for the final four? And I remember you didn't go for the final four. You went to the, the Sweet 16 yeah. Elite Eight. I went, I, I went up to the Final Four. I got to go up there and cover there that. Go. It was very, very fun. Very beautiful city that is in Minneapolis. Also cold again. Also cold. Actually, I think it was colder in Kansas City than it was in yeah. Minneapolis when I went up there. I'm pretty sure it was a lot colder in Kansas City. So at moving the time. off of the weather, Adam Rittenberg of ESPN, source, hashtag UCF is expected to hire, hashtag Miami's Travis Williams. As defensive coordinator, deal should be finalized soon. Williams worked for Gus Malzahn from 2014 to 2020 at Auburn. The last two seasons as co-defensive coordinator and linebackers coach. He then joined Miami's staff as linebackers coach. T. Will on the move. This is huge. I'm excited for him. This is a big. This is a big deal. Well, it's a good thing that Auburn's future head coach and <laughs> defensive coordinator gets some experience here at Central Florida with Gus Malzahn because I think that he's really gonna. He's going to work it Wait, out. what did you just call him? The future Auburn head coach and defensive coordinator. You know, defensive coordinator first. I was there first. with – I thought you said defensive coordinator and that was it. And now you said former – okay, so we need to – we're about to go to break. And this is something that I want to talk to you about on the other side of this break. But come on, man. Like, they just hired a new head coach. Future. <laughs> future. I didn't say when, but future head coach for sure. Yeah. That would be uh, that would be fun. I'm excited. Let, let's let him be a DC first. He's oh walking yeah, into a tough That's job. That's what I'm saying. Hey, he's getting some experience before he has to walk into that. The job at UCF is going to be a brutal effort. First of all, they give up 33.2 points per game last year. Bad defense, one of the worst in the country. They've already lost several key playmakers off that defensive side of the ball in terms of you know team tackle leaders, defensive backs. And that second and third level, they're losing some guys. Now, they've got some sack leaders coming back, but they have an uphill battle to do there. But it's also an opportunity because any type of improvement on that defense, which the only direction they can go is up, yeah. it's going to be credited to T-Will. And so there is a, a huge advantage for him moving into that job, but it's a tough one. More of On the Line on the other side of this break. we got Terry from Talladega waiting for us. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and Jacob Hillman on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Phone lines are open. Number to call 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. And we're headed to the phone lines now. we got Terry from Talladega on the line with us. Terry, how are you doing today? Great, guys. How y'all doing? We're doing great, and we're uh, we're happy to hear from you. Good talk to y'all as well. Yeah, we're talking about Gus Malzahn a few minutes ago in his new gig at uh, Central Florida. Right. And uh, one of you guys, I can't remember which one you said, that he became kind of stale. And I won't totally disagree with that, but 
Let me tell you guys my take on it, if I could, please. Go for it. I thought he did a very poor job, and he seemed to get obsessed with it at times. He wasn't going to adjust his system to fit his players. He wanted his players to adjust their playing ability to fit his system. And it became so stuff. Just ask uh, Rock Thomas and Asa Martin and, and Jeremy Johnson, some of those guys. They, they seem to – he gets a lot of criticism for not developing players. And, and I know some of that responsibility does fall on the players. At the same time, they just seem to keep happening over and over again. And what they say, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. That's right. And that just seemed to be what he did. And I agree with you, he did get a little stale, but that seemed to happen with great, with a great degree of frequency. Yeah. He got, I, he got, he got nerve-wracking. He really did. Yeah, no, I agree. I didn't think Rock Thomas was that good. I, I didn't like him as a player. I thought he was very selfish. But I'll tell you one thing, guys. He's got no one down there right now named Bo Nix that's just as selfish and as arrogant. And 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 uh, Albert's never going to win with him. I hate to keep beating that beating that drum, but that, that that's the way I feel. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying about the about the developing players and whatnot. And I think that that's part of what became so stale was okay. We got this highly recruited player w- w- show out. Where where's that at? And I think a lot of that had to do with Gus Malzahn. A lot of that had to do with some of the players. But who knows? We're not inside the program, so it's hard to tell exactly. It's just based off what we can see in the games and what we hear from reporters and practice and whatnot so i think both can be true like uh right. to, to kind of expand on what you're saying that terry i agree with you 100 percent. it was scheme i mean you look at some of these players and and they you know a lot of them transferred i mean you lost you know several guys to transfer during this time some guys obviously did not fit the scheme that uh originally gus malzahn started with and i think the only time that we ever saw a change in anything malzahn was doing was in the type of quarterback he was recruiting for some reason he went away from the read option two years in but you know, I think a lot of it was scheme, and I agree with you there. But I think that's also what made things stale. He wasn't—he was an eight-win coach, and a lot of schools would like an eight-win coach, but that wasn't good enough for Auburn because Auburn wants to compete on the national scale. Uh, the national scale, and so uh, I think that's a big part of what was stale about it. Well, I mean, how can how can anybody look you directly in the face or in the mirror, or whatever? It looks does a mirror and say that the same offense in 2020, 18, 19, 2021 20, that he ran when he first got? It's not. It was right. totally different. Yeah, and and I just for the life of me can't understand why somebody would take something that, that works and get away from it, and, and then try and fit you know square square pegs into into circular holes, right? Like just right. just not like guys did not fit in, into a lot of what he was trying to do, and it seemed like he had a, and I don't want this to turn into like a you know a Gus Malzahn hate session because I am like super pumped for the guy going to UCF because I think it's going to work, but it, it, it'll be I, successful. And I just never quite understood why he had like predetermined roles for guys, you know, when they stepped onto campus and he never budged from it. I mean, like they're like the same receivers in every offense, just change the name of the receiver, would do the same routes. Like yeah. the route concepts killed me in the passing well, I always, game. I always felt this way about something. I want you guys' take on this. There are just certain guys, certain players, for whatever reason, we don't know. I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. They just perform when the lights go on. Yeah, yeah, they look great in practice, and that's who you ask what you have to go by. But there are certain guys who just do that, and I felt like some of those guys were down there, and he just wouldn't play them. Yeah, and Devin Barry maybe, and you know, it may be I a think better Malik example. Was that guy. Sure. So, uh, we've seen we've seen Malik Willis play well the past year, <laughs> but that was at Liberty. We also I, don't I, know. I, never, I, mean, I, I was not super high on him when I got, when we saw him get into games uh, in garbage time and everything. Just from a passing standpoint, I distinctly remember uh, skipping a slant route to to a receiver. Now he could run. I was like, I don't, I don't. He could I, run. Honestly, didn't care about Malik Willis's passing ability because we had a lot of questions about Nick Marshall's passing ability as well, and 
that ran us to a champ. They're not in the same hemisphere. I'd rather go 11 and 2 with a guy that completes 13, 14 passes a game than, than 6 and 6 with a guy that completes 25. That's fair. That's very I mean, fair. I that, that, that's Malik Willis would have had the ability, like Nick Marshall, to turn a make a positive out of a negative, and that's that's what he that's what that's what needed to happen down there. He just wouldn't do it. Like I said, guys, I always felt like that was the case. He did, yes, he did get stale, but yes, he did get you know he he was determined to make players fit his system. He wasn't going to adjust his system. I never liked Jared Sinem. I thought Jared Sinem was the big best fit for New England because selfish and arrogant deserve selfish and arrogant. <laughs> so. Um, that, that's the way I feel about that. So. See, I think Stidham was a was a good player in the wrong system, and I, I think yeah, Auburn I ruined him. I think Auburn. I, I I think you know, and I, we said this actually. I think the other day when we were talking about where Stidham was drafted, it's like Stidham after year one was a three thousand yard passer. He turns into a fourth round draft pick when he was a bona fide second or first rounder going into his final season, and the scheme destroyed him. The way that Auburn well, tried to make it, to use him, it just did not work out. Now keep this in mind, guys, in reference to Bo Nix. Up until now, his whole football career has been under daddy. Take care, guys. Appreciate it, Terry. Thanks for calling in. And the phone lines, once again, are open. 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. That last statement there about Bo Nix's career, he does have to earn the the, the trust of this coaching staff. It's it's unfamiliar territory now for everybody on this football team, even outside of Bo Nix. Yeah, I do think that Bo Nix is – he's talented and he has it in him. But I also think there's guys coming in. Demetrius Davis, that guy's good. I don't think that Davis is going to come in and take the starting job from him, but he might push him, and that might be a good thing for Bo Nix. I want to go back to the Malik Willis thing real quick. I don't think Auburn would have won 11 games with Malik Willis at quarterback. I think people undervalue Nick Mar- Nick Marshall's passing ability a little bit too much. I mean, Marshall could was competent at throwing in 2014. The ball. Yeah, tw- I think that's I- 2013 was a different, and I'm. I agree with you that I don't think they're in the same hemisphere. And you're talking to someone who is Nick Marshall's the, biggest fan. Like that was my that's my favorite Auburn player of all time to go on the record. So I will say I will say no slander about him. I just don't think that. Also, are we so that, confident that Malik Willis was going to develop at Auburn with Gus Malzahn's track record yeah. at developing quarterbacks? I mean, he got who to knows? the right guy. He went to Hugh Freeze, who has a great track record with quarterbacks. I mean, aim a quarterback that failed under Hugh Freeze. You can't. You can't. <laughs> and look, some of the guys he coached too. Yeah, I was say he got guys who Bo Wallace. He got guys put in the league and that didn't do anything. Lee Bo Wallace, Chad Kelly. I mean, he got guys into See, the you league. You can't name a guy who failed under under Hugh Freeze at quarterback, and then he went to go and play at Liberty in a bad conference. You know, get or well, I, they're not even in a conference, so they're getting to play in uh, they're whoever they play, want, right? And, <laughs> yeah. and it's not yeah. the greatest competition in the world. And of course, he did fine against the Virginia Techs and the Syracuses, but that's still your Virginia Techs and, and your Syracuses and Coastal Carolina. Yeah, so I'm not fully there on the the Malik Willis stuff, but that's okay. I'm not sold. I agree with him on everything else, pretty much that he said. I'm not sold. He would have won 11 games, but he just fit the scheme so well that I would have at least liked to. I would have liked to see it. I know a lot of fans agree that they would have liked to see it because it was more reminiscent of what they saw with Nick Marshall and Cam. Did he fit the scheme though? Because at that time the offense had already changed. Well, that's what I'm saying. It fit the previous scheme. It fit Gus Malzahn's 2013-2014 scheme, but then what happened after that? Gone. What happened after that? Then it started seeming like, oh, because that's another thing he said in his press conference yesterday. He's calling plays for the rest of his career. That's what he's good at, and that's what he likes to do. He, I don't know. You know, I, that's a kind of a direct shot at Auburn. One hundred percent. Maybe maybe he wasn't allowed to call the plays he wanted. I mean, you let's not sugarcoat it. We were running the triple option wing T out of the shotgun twenty thirteen. Like that's what yeah. that's what we were running a, a modified version of that. Here, Malik Willis was perfectly capable of hopping into that system. Problem was, by the time he gets there. That system's long gone. 
they get they got rid of it see i still go back to i think we're undervaluing nick marshall's passing ability even I mean, in 2013 I mean, the he, guy was capable he i don't think he, malik throw, willis, he could throw it as hard as he wanted to he just didn't know where i was going 2013 i yeah. just don't think malik willis was competent at all at throwing the football at auburn he never showed us in any game he got in at auburn he never showed us what it was that was, he was capable it was that safety he took i forget what game it was but he took alabama a safety. state alabama it was state. it was alabama state that's he, how they ended up covering that game that's yeah, the only reason i know that he took a safety in that game because it's just an that awful seems like that read. hurts you oh no i no, i had uh i mean i if i was you know to do that i would have taken alabama state plus <laughs> hypothetically 63. hypothetically i would have you know loved alabama state plus 63 that was, <laughs> when, when does auburn ever score 60 points unless it's against purdue what were you saying i was saying i just feel like that play the terrible read that's kind of like i was like all right this, he he's got a lot of work to do when you evaluate quarterbacks it's so much more than just when you evaluate a quarterback the first thing that you should be looking at is can they throw the ball out of the pocket yes i understand there are dual threat quarterbacks out there every you know you know, being able to run the ball is a is a great asset the lamar jacksons of the world they're far and few between that are, that are that athletic but there are there are many quarterbacks out there that can tuck in and run but there aren't many quarterbacks out there that can make the difficult throws that when you ball that when you the ball games against the alabamas and the georgias at some point you're going to have to fit a football into a tight window in order to win your team the football game at some point that's going to happen you're going to have to make the outside the shoulder throw to the sideline Auburn's offense never allowed its quarterbacks to be successful in doing that, which is why Auburn continues to fail. Auburn has not had a quarterback to be able to make those throws. Yeah, They have it. Stidham was the one who got the closest to doing it. But Auburn has not had another quarterback that has been able to have the – and I don't mean arm strength and the ability to throw it 100 yards like Brett Favre. I mean they have to have the arm strength to be able to fit a ball and the accuracy to be able to fit a ball into a tight window that very few quarterbacks can do. Only the Joe Burrows and, and, and the Mac Jones and you know the top the top five percent of quarterbacks in college football can do that, and that's why they play in the big games. That's why they win the big games. Auburn has not had that yet at quarterback. Malik Willis was nowhere near being remotely True. able to do that, which means as a quarterback, Malik Willis at Auburn probably was an eight win quarterback too. It just looked different. He would have ran the ball to yeah. that point. He would not have been able to make the throws necessary because here's the thing. Auburn would have been one-dimensional. Auburn was still not one-dimensional in 13 and 14. They ran the ball for 300 yards a game, but they could hit you with the passing game when they needed to. Look no further than the 2013 Iron Bowl where Auburn threw a touchdown pass to tie that ball game up. That was more or less scheme, in my opinion. I mean, he was wide open. If you can't make that throw, you shouldn't be fair. playing quarterback. That's fair. That, that's just it wasn't a great, as much about a, great a tight RP- window. It's just a great RPO in the, on that option. But you still had to throw the ball to make that happen because what did they do? They committed to the run there. They they committed to the run on that play. And a lot stat, of that they, is scheme. And because but, they established the run the entire year. I mean, they were running over true. everybody. It's also, I mean, I mean, could Auburn even have done that? But does the, Malik next, Willis, the past few years, I mean, their lines were not no. great. Could they have even ran that offense and, anymore? And that's another thing that we can talk about is the recruiting of the offensive line. That was, I think that honestly is the biggest issue with the offense at this point. Because the most important thing with Gus Nalson's offense was establishing the run, and it was difficult to do that with offensive lines that Auburn had. And you know, going back to that play, I remember that whole drive. It was just run, run, run. It was the same play over and over, and it was working. And it got to the point where it was like, "There's 40 seconds left. You're gonna have to throw the ball at some point." And, and then he they wasn't. Did it. But they, that was not a designed pass. I don't think that was, was a, that was just an RPO. It's designed in the way where he can pass it, and sure. that's and that's why because I think 
I think there's been doc, there's also been documentaries. About he had that the, thing tucked. That whole yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's an RPO. It was and a that's, run. That's he the, had that that's, thing the last op, that's the last option. Isn't Mal, it? Malzahn said it when he looked when Marshall looked to the sideline because he was ready to call just a normal passing play. There's 40 seconds left, but he says the reason he looked to the sideline and did the signal to run it again was because they were the cornerback was biting every sure. time. So I, it is the last option. You're not wrong. It was an RPO. I'm just. And also, saying, but no, he he was tugging. He was about to run. But he also, Marshall had the wherewithal, the cerebral aspect to his game, and the yeah. ability to make decisions quickly that not every quarterback has. Mm-hmm. And once again, that goes back to what you were saying about the safety in the Alabama State game, where I'm not so certain that Malik Willis had the ability to make decisions that quickly. He's right. done great at Liberty. I'm not disparaging we'll, Malik we'll never, Willis, we'll but never it know. was not going to work at Auburn. We'll never know. He could have worked. We'll never know. I don't know. Gus Malzahn's track record with quarterbacks is is, is pretty bad. It's pretty yeah. bad. Outside of, you know, one. And, I mean, that's the generation. Uh, Cam Newton, the generational talent that he was. I okay. mean, I think he did great. I think Nick Marshall was great, but he didn't do anything to develop Nick Marshall into a quarterback, if that makes sense. I mean, again. Post-Nick Marshall, things have gotten pretty ugly. Oh, yeah. Like, around the time when Stidham was on campus, uh, you know. You, there, had, you I, had the month of November. You had that yeah. one month of November where Stidham was like, man, this guy next year is going to be really good. And he's going to be and drafted then, first round. And, and then, then – whether you blame Stidham, you can also blame the offensive line. Let him down. That's where I'm at. Which where, where are you at on it? That the offensive line really didn't help him at all. I think, I think it's, it's both, but I line more so because I think what every what everything that what sticks in everybody's mind about the scheme about Jared Stidham line. is the Tennessee game and Tennessee game. That was a lot of both. I think you saw the offensive line fail him. Like he had to run like crazy for the first like a second into the play. And there's also times where, just what was Auburn doing in that game? So why don't you then scheme to make up for the terrible offensive line? I don't think Gus Malzahn knew how to. Because that, how do you not know how well, to that when you're at that of, level never, of football? Though? I, we've never seen him make adjustments. Even in-game, you never yeah. see him make adjustments. I just have a hard time believing, the, believing when you're at that level of football that you don't know how to. But that could be – I mean, that's pretty much what Terry was saying, that, he's, hey, that he knows? feels like he's stubborn hey. in what hey. he wants to do. See, stubborn's different than not knowing how to, though. So maybe, stubborn's knowing how maybe, to, but just not doing it. Maybe he was making the adjustments, and that was the best offensive line was going to be. That's I don't true. believe that because the scheme never changed. Yeah. It was the same stuff every game. Jeremy Pruitt knew it. I go back to with Stidham. Yeah. I, whenever somebody says Stidham's name, the first thing that comes to mind, not only is New England Patriots, but the second thing is him throwing two interceptions to defensive linemen in the Tennessee game. That's true. That that is that just emblazoned in my memory. I just always it thought makes of, me forget about the three thousand <laughs> yard year before. I just thought of right handed Brandon Cox. I mean, that's pretty much all I thought about when I watched Jared Stidham oh, play. Brandon I've Cox never heard was, that comparison. I think I like it actually. What? I, I mean, so. he, has a, he has a better he has a better arm than Brandon Cox for sure. But I mean, yeah, a lot, Cox a lot had of a cannon, and Brandon Cox up until Stidham arrived was definitely up on the Auburn passing charts because he was there for so long. That's also yeah. true. It's a longevity. That's, that's one of those longevity records that I think Bo Nix will probably end up with simply for the fact that he's got that extra year of eligibility. Maybe I just like Brandon Cox more than the average individual. But <laughs> I think you do. I that really dude think wants you some do. big games, guys. Come on. Yeah, that Nebraska, he, that he Nebraska beat, Cotton Bowl in 2006. That was a big one. He also beat Florida without scoring an offensive touchdown. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> he was a part so, yeah, of that he, game. Yeah, he was a part of the game. But he also, I mean, he beat Florida <laughs> twice. He did. Beat Florida twice. That's huge. Once without scoring. Once without scoring. You are correct. He also lost to South Florida. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, wait. wait. 2007, which that kind of counteracts the whole Florida thing, but 2007 was crazy. 
That is true. It's hard to. That was that was true. That was a wild year. Yeah. On the other side of this break, we'll wrap up the first hour of online here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. You're on the line with Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, Jacob Hillman on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. If you've missed any portion of today's show or any show ever, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Keep up with all the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at, at @RadioALSports. It's the place to be for Auburn and Alabama content as well as high school sports content. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Before we wrap up our number one here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Some people think playing Monopoly for a few hours is so boring. What if you were trapped inside a game for 26 years? Jumanji is on AMC at 7. Terminator 2 Judgment Day is on BBC at 7. Gerard Butler and Aaron Eckhart star in Olympus Has Fallen on Sci-Fi at 6.30. Tuesday's college basketball schedule starts in the Big East at 5.30 on FS1 with Providence at UConn. At the 6 p.m. time slot, Michigan State is at Purdue on ESPN. Over on ESPN2, Florida is at number 24, Arkansas, and stay in the SEC with number 20, Missouri, at Georgia on SEC Network. On Big Ten Network, Nebraska is at Maryland. At 8 p.m., Northwestern and number 5, Illinois, square off on Big Ten Network as well. In the NBA, we've got two games on TNT starting at 6.30 with the Pelicans at the Grizzlies, and at 9, the Nets are at the Suns. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Wrapping up hour number one here on On the Line. And I asked you guys during the break, I said, what have we talked about today? I mean, we, we talked to Marlboro Baseball. We talked Gus Malzahn to UCF. Will Tennessee beat Alabama in another 5,000 days? We even went down the Malik Willis rabbit hole, which I enjoyed quite a lot because, once again, it leads us back to talking about how Gus Malzahn's career ended at Auburn, and now he's jump-started it anew at UCF, which I think he'll be extremely successful I think we opened up today a little bit talking about how it's amazing how some UCF folks don't want Malzahn as their head coach. I've heard some people saying that they wanted him more or wanted him less than Jeff Levy over at Ole Miss. I'm like, come on, guys. Like, They're crazy. This is, in, this is an incredible hire. This is a splash hire at this stage in the game. Even, even if this was at the beginning of the coaching carousel and Hoipel wasn't gone, you just got an upgrade, first of all. You just upgraded from Josh Hoipel to Gus Malzahn. I could see if he had gotten hired at Texas, then not being happy because, yeah, what you're walking into, which, of course, Big 12 versus SEC, I still would have been, I would disagree with those fans, but I still would have been like, okay, I understand what you see from the last few years at Auburn, but at UCF, come on, he can get you back to the Scott Frost levels of winning the AAC every year. Oh, yeah. And upsetting teams. And regressed them. Right. And look at the last two years in recruiting for UCF. They're like fourth and seventh in the American. Like, that's no good. No. That's not nationally. That's in the American. Come on. And before that, they had them at like one and two. So if you average out the last four years, they're sitting at third in the American in recruiting. So like top heavy, juniors and seniors, Malzahn's got talent at UCF. The freshmen and sophomores, uh-oh, better have a good recruiting year this upcoming year at UCF or like things may go sideways because he's going to have less He's going to have less talent than half of the conference coming up in, amongst his freshmen and sophomore unless he can develop them quickly or if his scheme for some reason works in the AAC rather than it does in the SEC right which a lot of that probably does have to do with talent there's not as much athleticism on the Tulsa's and the USF's and and all those teams on the defensive side of the ball so he's 
He's set up nicely. This is a great fit. I don't understand UCF people not liking this. I don't get it either. I, I just really don't understand. It's an upgrade from Hoypel, in my opinion, just because he's taken them you know, from Scott Frost to 6-4 and four last year. That's it for hour number one of On the Line. We'll be back with hour number two in just a few moments. Stay with us here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. You are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Garner, Levi Fitzwater, and Jacob Hillman with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. It's been a packed show today. If you missed any of it, or if you ever missed a show, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We've talked about a lot today. I've even had to ask you guys, what all have we talked about today? Because it's been packed. We've continued to dive in on some of the Malzahn stuff. I think it's interesting that some folks out there don't want Malzahn as their head coach at UCF kind of interesting talked about Tennessee a little bit will they beat Alabama in another 5,000 days we even went down a Malik Willis rabbit hole a little bit there and now we're going to open up our number two ranking the top coaching hires of 2021 and this is a list put together today we we alluded to it a little bit yesterday Levi we'll we'll do it the day after you said that we'll rank it up and and now here we go we're going to rank it I've got my list of five you guys are going to critique it I think this is pretty solid. I don't, I don't think you can critique it until you get down to you know four or five. I think you guys are going to have problems with, but you know three, two, and one. I think are, are pretty solid. Can I throw in an honorable mention for what I think the worst hire is? <laughs> oh, the worst hire. All I right. think it's got to be Terry Bowden at Monroe. Hey, right? I, I, mean, too. Hey. I think I, I'm I'm looking at the list. I don't see one that I don't like worse hey, than Terry. He Bowden. was considering putting him at five. Hey. What? Come on, look, Will Hall, look, Shane all, Beamer, Anderson. Like I. I I don't see one on here that's I think worse. All, I think everyone else has potential, whereas I don't yeah, see Yeah, I don't either. see potential with Terry Bowden You don't, you don't see Monroe. potential with Terry Bowden and Rich Rod at ULM? No. Maybe Rich Rod, but no, no, no. Not Terry Bowden. Why? Too old. Too way old? Too old. You think the game's yeah, passed by? Absolutely. I think passed him by. Like I'm not saying that he is specifically too old to be a coach. I'm just saying at his age... I don't think he's got it. I think it's. I think his best coaching days are beyond him. I don't count anything that happened at Akron. I mean, that's fair. That, that's not Akron even on the record no. for me. They care Akron's nothing like, about you can't any do of anything. their athletic programs. You can't do anything at Akron. That's fair. That yeah. is a fair thing to judge, that he can't do anything at Akron. I just don't think he's going to be able to recruit at Lobin Road or anything. They've had success in the they past have. 10 years, though. When they beat Arkansas and almost beat Auburn in 2012. They beat Alabama before who's 2007. Who's guy? Huh? Who's their quarterback, the lefty quarterback? That was who's really that good. that Colton guy? Browning, I think. Browning, I'm I pretty sure so. Browning was his last name. Yeah. That is accurate. It is Colton Browning. He's the quarterback on NCAA 13. Oh, see, there you go. is a fun team to play with on NCAA 13. Other than that, I just... Or, excuse me, 14. I don't know. I don't see Terry Bowden being the guy that's going to bounce Lobin Row back to one of these SEC killers that they were 10 years ago. And the Sun Belt's tough these days, guys. The Sun Belt is tough. That is true. It is moving up in the ranks of G5. I didn't I mean, even consider that. You, now you have to deal with the Coastal Carolinas, Appalachian States... South Alabama's been fine. 
Troy is still not a slouch. I mean, it, it has grown so it, much now. There are it, so many teams in it now. I mean, it, it has grown to the point where there's at least half the league is going to be de- decent. And then, of course, your rival is the University of Louisiana, Rip La Lafayette. But that you know that they're always consi- they're consistently good as well. Maybe it was just Akron. I mean, maybe I'm a little too hard on him because I've the, my fresh in my brain is Akron. Maybe so maybe you, I am a little dug bit. dug into his Wikipedia page a little bit. Well, I'm just thinking that maybe I am a little too. Maybe I was not putting enough stock on how bad Akron is. Because Akron is the <clears throat> single worst location to coach at in any sport in collegiate athletics. It is not close. UMass is pretty bad. UMass is bad. Think about their history, though. At UConn's least in the pretty FCS, bad too. Not as bad as Akron. We're talking about the location, the city of Akron. It's a tough place. LeBron James would like to have a word with you, <laughs> sir. The kid from Akron. Don't don't disrespect. Don't disrespect the goat on these airwaves. I'm not disrespecting LeBron James. I'm just saying that it's it's down there. It is down there. I still think it's probably the worst hire still, all, but I don't think about, it's as bad as I thought. First of all, we're talking about UConn, the program that can at least win in basketball. It's it's a, does any football players care about that? I mean, no, I'm not is, just talking about football. I said oh, in any of collegiate uh, athletics. I said any of collegiate athletics. Akron is the oh, single worst location. Yes. Oh, okay. UConn is University, one half. Of, Akron is the worst one in FBS amongst FBS. Okay. We won't even get into we won't get into other D1 programs. Okay. Because I, mean, I mean, there are probably worse D1 programs than Akron. I'm just saying for sure. But I mean, UConn is also one part of the civil conflict rivalry, one of the greatest rivalries in college football, <laughs> UCF versus UConn. Civil conflicts or Iron Bowl. I mean, that's the greatest history of. I mean, that's the debate of all time. I mean, the big game or you know, civil conflict. <laughs> Phone lines were open three three four three two one thirteen ninety or toll free at eight 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 three eight two seventy five zero two. Please save me from this talk about the civil conflict. I guarantee, like half of our listeners don't even know what the civil conflict is, and if you don't, don't. please give it a look up. It's it's a complete. <laughs> I don't have enough time to go through that history because it is a long. It's a, it's a very funny story. Just look it up. It's about a UConn coach trying to make a rivalry out of UCF and just getting embarrassed by UCF leaving that trophy yeah. on the bench in the rain. <laughs> follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station on the line the drive with Bill Cameron analysis news and more that's all on ESPN 106.7 find the website on ESPNAU.com back to where we started this segment at ranking these coaching hires I appreciate your honorable mention of worst hire but I don't think he's the worst out of the entire list of coaches that are at new locations we're ranking the top coaching hires of 2021 and my fifth one I had narrowed this down. Jacob and I were talking before the show. I had narrowed this down to Blake Anderson going to uh, – why am I drawing a blank now? Where, Utah where he's State. Going to? Yes. Utah State. And he's coming from Arkansas State. I narrowed it down to that one or the guy who I actually put in at fifth, Butch Jones to Arkansas State. Butch Jones says a, there's a bad taste in everybody's mouth with, with Butch Jones based on how things ended at Tennessee. But we cannot disregard the fact that he had Tennessee – closest ever to beating Alabama and he also had them as close as ever with Tennessee getting back to at least some somewhat prominence in the SEC East those years I mean they were the second best team in the East those years they had a shot to make it to the conference title game those seasons they beat Georgia one time things went bad things went sour quickly it was like leaving milk out overnight the milk never made it back to the refrigerator borderline felt like a mutiny at Tennessee not gonna lie his players may have quit on him don't know what happened there it's not like he recruited poorly it didn't recruit necessarily in the same plane that he needed to to be able to compete with Florida and Georgia in the east 
but he did not recruit bad enough to fall apart completely to you know four wins a year or whatever or to his four win year that last season so I like this Butch Jones hire we have to remember what he was like at a group of five school his whole claim to get to Tennessee was what he did at Cincinnati he was strong at Cincinnati the level of competition drops significantly when you get out of the power five when you get out of the SEC I'm not going to sit here and say that this guy's not going to work at Arkansas State a team that's actually another team that we just left off of Sunbelt schools that are pretty good a team that's been pretty decent in the Sunbelt in recent years difficult conference he's going to have a hard time against you know Chadwell at Coastal Carolina and then whoever's coaching at Appalachian State right now is going to have a hard time with those two schools but there's no reason why Arkansas State doesn't get back to being a bowl eligible team every year out of the Sun Belt you're right and looking at Butch Jones's head coaching record even at Central Michigan he first in the conference did he coach Antonio Brown uh when did Antonio Brown get drafted we can figure that out I think he coached Antonio Brown. He was 07 through 09, so that sounds right. But, yeah, he was constantly in bowl games with Central Michigan. That was like the last time Central Michigan was consistently good. He, they went 11-2 and two in 2009. Well, and what year did you say Antonio Brown was there? 07 to 09? Oh, Antonio Brown was drafted was in 2010, so he did coach he did. Antonio Brown. Yeah, cool. And at Cincinnati, he had one bad year at the beginning of the tenure, and then he went on 10-3, and 9-3, and, and then after that, it's Tennessee – and there was know. a steady upward trajectory there until somebody left the milk out overnight. Yeah. So you don't like lumps in your milk? I thought everybody liked the lumpy <laughs> yeah, milk. I, I, I don't like to eat my milk, no. <laughs> that's really good. When you when you leave it out and it gets solid, that's the best time to eat the milk. And, of course, everybody hated the whole trash can thing and the champions of life stuff. Uh, that so was, like, yeah, that's pretty bad. That didn't sit well with people when you're losing ball games. It sits well with people when you lose a big one and you're like a nine-win team. Whole different conversation when you go like four and eight or whatever they did in this last year. What was this last year? Four and eight. Four and eight, yeah. How many, how many losing seasons did he have before he got canned? Just the At four and Tennessee? eight year? Yeah. No, five and seven his first year. Well, I mean, at the end, after after the Josh Dobb era. Oh, he he went 5-7, 7-6, 9-4, 9-4, 4-6, because he got fired in the middle of the year. Yeah, see, I'm, ha- I'm ha- the last year was awful, and I just think people quit on him. I, I don't think that there's an indictment enough. Like, I, I don't think that there's an indictment here on him as a coach. But let's move on. We're not going to sit here on five for too long. We'll move to four. You know, some people are really high on the Brett Bielema stuff. I didn't know if I wanted to work Bielema into some of my rankings. Illinois is another one of those places where you got tombstones all over the place from coaching careers that have, you know, rest in peace. I mean, poor Lovey Smith, man. Like, <laughs> he at one point was like a reputable NFL coach, and now he just, you know, shamed at Illinois. I don't know if Bielema's got enough to work with at Illinois as a – I mean, that's a basketball school now. Yeah, that, that, is. that is not – they are so far removed from, like – the decent time period. I mean, th- that team went to a BCS Bowl in the late 2009s. Or, no, I don't know why I said 2009s. In the late um, 2000s. And Juice Williams. It may have been yeah, around 2000s. Juice Williams ago. year. Yeah, he was, a, <laughs> he was a monster on those NCAA that games. That same year, Kansas made it to a BCS Bowl game. That's that wild, so that's that wild, two, that wild yes. 2007 year. That yeah. crazy My year bad. we alluded to earlier. I, I said late 2009s. I meant, I meant late 2000s and then, bam, 2007. So, I had a hard time with Bielema getting into these rankings. I instead went with another school where there's tons of tombstones but they've had more success recently than illinois has i went with clark lee at vanderbilt and a lot of this is a culture fit for me i think he understands the parameters that vanderbilt's going to put around this guy i think he's excited about being there and you have if you're vanderbilt you have to get somebody in there who's excited about building something and somebody who can install a culture uh, of doing things the right way you have to get a matt campbell type and i think this guy fits what vanderbilt's trying to do moving forward i think 
as far as what's left on the roster talked with Robbie Weinstein of Andy 24-7 they've got some offensive pieces laying around from the from the previous tenure this team may not be the worst team in the east next year South Carolina might be legitimately South Carolina may be the single worst team in the SEC next year Vanderbilt could get close to about five six wins next year if they win some of their 50-50 games or all of their 50-50 games the point I brought up was is this just another Derek Mason hire and I think that's what two defensive coordinators from similar universities Notre Dame and Stanford and never had a head coaching job prior so that's where I think we'll see if there's a difference Derek Mason never had a winning record Derek Mason was probably the better defensive coordinator yeah. than uh than clark lee yeah based we, on his time and at stanford. who knows and that might be because clark lee might be better in a head coaching role who knows we'll see and that, that's kind of where i that's the one thing i look at and i'm like let's see how this goes and clark lee might might have just played a little bit better competition i mean it's hard to say that but notre dame has had some really notable non-conference games that they've played over the past few years those stanford teams were playing pac-12 teams when the pac-12 was pretty up but it's so also, who would you put here at four then I I mean I don't I'm not saying I dislike like, the hire at all. Would you put Blake Anderson, and I, Butch Jones in this top five I before do, you put? Clark I would have put Anderson over Jones. I think but. I would. Yeah, I think I would have done Anderson five and then. But y'all are good with Clark Lee at four. Yeah, I'm, it's just more of you don't know if it's going to work out. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like it could become the same thing as Derek Mason. I'm just really big on but that. That's Blake not Anderson Clark Lee hire. or Derek Mason's fault. I don't no. think Derek Mason did a bad job. How many bowl games did Derek Mason take him to? Two. Right. Lost and both of them. That's more than what most coaches have done. James Franklin did it, but. Other than that, most coaches don't do that in their time at Vanderbilt. So I think I still think when you look at Derek Mason's tenure at Vanderbilt, I would label it as a success. And me, like me, disagree with Clark Lee. Like not being so certain on it. That's nothing against that coaching job. I just I, I really like the Blake Anderson hire a lot at Utah State. I think it's just one of those. It's out west. It's Utah State. We don't really seems think like about it too fit. much. Yeah, it seems like a good fit. But one hundred percent, it's hard to justify it because. They probably won't be super, super relevant at Utah State, and that's just that's the kind of knock on that hire. Is you're like, well, are we really going to pay attention and care enough to yeah. see this? It's just I care a little bit just from watching a lot of Arkansas State being, you know, Sun Belt and just being the college football junkies that most of us are. I like that hire, but it's hard to justify it over some of these guys because it these are the two that you named are a little bit more impactful, especially Clark Lee coming into Vanderbilt. He could make Vanderbilt better in South Carolina this year, not. I think that. I agree with that. I really think that that's going to be what happens at the end of next year. I think a big part of that's just the experience. And, of course, both of them are going through coaching turnovers, but it's nice to have players coming back on the offensive side of the ball, which is something that South Carolina's got guys transferring. I mean, there's a lot of upheaval right now at South Carolina. And, you know, maybe I like – I mean, Beamer could end up being a good coach. Shane Beamer could end up being a good coach at South Carolina. But there is – you're dealing with what the all the NCAA nonsense that has happened over there recently – you have less talent than everybody else in your in your division other than maybe Vanderbilt and Vanderbilt's got more coming back than you do this upcoming year South Carolina's in a tough spot really tough spot I think Beamer has potential but you're right I think the floor is also extremely low I think you get a wide range of what could happen with him I don't know if it's that wide I think it's probably like anywhere from being awful to you know being just bad no, I think I think they can. I don't being... mean it, I mean just next year though, not oh, as total. Co- yeah, not okay. not as total oh, yeah. coaching career. I just mean next year at South Carolina. I think the range of wins for South Carolina is evaluated as if they make, awful. If they make or a bowl game, bad. that's good for South Carolina. If they make a bowl game, if they next make year. a bowl game, it might be a miracle. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Is whole career at South Carolina, there's a there's a decent ceiling, but next year, not really. 
on the other side of this break, we'll get to my top three hires. This is where we start getting to stuff that like gives you a little bit more confidence, a little bit more hope about their locations, that it just might actually work out. Top three of ranking the top 2021 coaching hires coming up here on the other side of On the Line. Back on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports93.com and on Facebook. That's Fox Sports 983.com in the midst of ranking the top coaching hires of 2021. Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and Jacob Hillman with you going through my top five. At five, I had Butch Jones to Arkansas State, four, Clark Lee to Vanderbilt, and now into the nitty-gritty, the guys who are actually the movers and shakers this year in the coaching carousel. Three for me, I've got Brian Harson to Auburn. And some folks out there may be thinking, why is that lower than two? And it's too low. Too low. Is it really? Do you agree with this location? Um, no, actually, actually, I actually think this is the perfect location. I mean, I think three is dead set where he should be on this list. I think because I, I, if I know you and I know what we're thinking, I think I know what your one and two are. And I think those are the two that are above him in terms of just hiring in general. Well, let me go ahead and give it to you. So we'll open up this debate. Touched on it a little bit yesterday. So that gives it away. Two, Gus on to UCF. And this was the this is the great debate here. Gus Malzahn to UCF or Brian Harson to AU here talking about, you know, who is that second best coaching hire in this cycle? Those are the two that I had it narrowed down to. And we'll get to my top one in a little bit. But those are the two I had it narrowed down to for this one. And a lot of it comes down to I'm I'm taking the coaches out of their situations and I'm looking at the circumstances that the teams were in and the hire that they made. Right? I'm not comparing which coach is better when I'm making this list. I'm saying which team made the better hire. I'm, I'm evaluating what the team did in their, in their respective situation, not the coach itself. And Brian Harson to Auburn is not Auburn, as you put it yesterday, Levi, punching above their weight class. Gus Malzahn to UCF. UCF does not make the, the this type of hire. UCF does not hire a coach that has competed in a national championship before. The most high-profile hire UCF has ever made was their longest-tenured coach and George O'Leary. And O'Leary previously had coached at Tech, and he had Malzahn's average record every year without the national title and the, and the SEC championship-like implications. I mean, Malzahn had Auburn in the top 10 pretty much every year. Now, whether or not they finished in the top 10, whatever. <laughs> but... At least Malzahn had them somewhat on the national stage to a degree. Now, when they got to the national stage, yes, things went sideways a little bit. But he's won an SEC championship. He's competed in a national championship. He's beat Nick Saban almost half the times that he's played Nick Saban. Most coaches can't, you know, live to tell the tale after they've played Nick Saban, right? I mean, like, this guy has a pedigree that when you compare it to O'Leary, it's like, yeah, I mean, obviously Malzahn's a, of, of a higher caliber coach than O'Leary. Best thing O'Leary ever did was win a Gator Bowl at Georgia Tech, you know? Like, so I, UCF does not make these types of hires. And they made this hire in February. Th- this was the last hire of the coaching carousel. Literally, UCF was the last team to be brought to the table. And they were brought to the table because Tennessee poached their coach. Mm-hmm. And they had to go out there and make a hire 
They, they're slipping. They are slipping from the top of the ranks of the group of five. They went 6-4 and four this past year. They gave up 33 points a game on the defensive side of the ball. They lost games because of their defensive line. They are slipping. You look at their recruiting, fourth in recruiting the American this past year, seventh the year before that. That Before then, they were top of the American or second. They were not doing worse than that. Scott Frost had this program as the best G5 program out there in college football, even ahead of Boise State, in my opinion, when they beat Auburn. During his tenure. Right, and then he left, and Hoipel had him there again for another year, but since then they have been slipping. It has been a slow fall for UCF, and they just hired the one coach out there that they could go and get that you know with about 98% confidence that he is going to keep you there or at least take you back to the top of the G5 ranks, that he is going to be able to compete with what Fickle is doing at Cincinnati. He is going to be able to bridge the gap because, look, Malzahn's not going to be there for the end of his contract. If Malzahn's there at the end of his contract, he only won like eight games a year. Malzahn's going to have them in a New Year's Six Bowl game in the next two or three years, and he's going to go back to a power conference school. Jacob, you put about a three-year timetable on it, I think off air. I think he's gone before then. I'm giving it a two-year table, and he's out of UCF. He could have an awesome, he could pop off next year, and he could be at a Power 5 job next season. So when I'm talking about Malzahn, he's not going to be there for five years. He is going to bridge the gap for them in this bad year for them where they just lost their head coach to be able to put them back into prominence in group of five stature to be able to attract a better head coach when circumstances are better for them in the future. This is an amazing hire when you're talking about the circumstances that the program was in. And I really think that you're right about him possibly leaving after this year if he has a really good year. I think that's when it depends. I don't think it'll be this year. I think this year, 9 to 10 wins with UCF. Because I don't know exactly what they're bringing back. But I think that he can really bring some guys. I don't know what the recruiting class looks like or anything. But just based off Gus Malzahn as a coach, and I think it's off to a great start hiring Travis Williams, they can really get off to a hot start. I'm not expecting them to make a New York Six Bowl or even win the American Athletic. But after that, who knows? They might be best power or group of five team again. So this is probably this next year for Cincy. Ritter's coming back at quarterback for them this next year for Cincinnati. And how long is Fickle going to be there? You know, I mean, I mean, there's there's a lot of uncertainty for Cincinnati as well when you're talking about G five teams. So you know, Malzahn may not win the American this year. The biggest team that they got to go toe to toe with is Cincinnati. Memphis is going to be in the mix, but I don't think that they're the 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 Memphis of the Justin Fuente days. They they've slipped too as well from that one year. They were truly the epitome of flash in the pan. I mean, one year for Memphis, they've been a you know four loss team every year since then, five loss team every year since then, but still good enough. They're, they're in the mix. So, but about Brian Harson then at three. This is not me saying that Brian Harson was a bad hire. Brian Harson was a good hire. He was, he was a, you know, when you look at the toxic situation that Auburn was in with the coaching search, I mean, that was bad, guys. I mean, that was, that was, a not, that, that was not always good. That, more oftentimes than not, there were bad news coming out every day about yeah. the coaching search than there was about good news coming out about the coaching search. So I think that this ended on a super high note for Auburn to hire a guy like Brian Harson, mainly because of the culture that he's going to be bringing to Auburn. He brings that Matt Campbell culture that I talk about where, like, he preaches guys doing things the right way and doing their job. It's a very you know, kind of military-like culture. Big fan of that coming to Auburn because Auburn needs some accountability on the actual football field. Malzahn ran a clean program. Guys didn't really get in trouble. He ran a clean program. On the field, though, I can't be having wide-open touchdown passes being dropped and there not being any accountability for that. I mean, you also have to think Brian Harson is 
the what number three in both conference record and overall record by percentage nationally. <laughs> yeah, he's only second. He's behind, a winner. He's only second behind Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban. That, that graphic Auburn posted that was. That was a message. I thought it's it was pretty good. It's impressive. I mean, it, well, I mean, they did say we're coming, right? Yeah. yeah. See, but I also kind of feel very Penn State esque vibes with that graphic. Yeah, and everybody saw the font graphic that Penn State put up because it's look, we all know it's coming bad. from Boise. It's not, it's that, not bad. that bad, right? But here's the thing: it's still he's done this for seven years. Seven years. Past exactly. seven years. I mean, that's still. A, it doesn't matter where you are if you if you are the third in winning percentage over seven years. You're doing something right because guys could slip from that position. Even at Boise, you could be a great head coach and still have really down years. And I don't think he finished lower than second in his conference at Boise State. Right. That's, I mean, that's really impressive. It. And, and most, and majority of the time, he was winning their division, and yeah. he was going to the to the championship game, and he was winning the championship game. So that's the other thing. He's a winner, and he's also the most experienced coach that Auburn's hired. Like Chiswick had two years head coaching experience. Malzahn had one year head coaching experience. Hartson has eight. It's it's also like it's a different the difference between this hire and the Malzahn hire is Malzahn was just such a slam dunk for UCF. You can't stress enough how late in the cycle it was for them. It was after signing day and they were able to get an upgrade at coach from the guy that left. You yeah. just don't see things like that happen. You would have been impre- you'd have been impressed if this happened at the beginning of the cycle. More or less, it's even more impressive. That's why I think it's such a great hire because Fell in lap. you got a guy that literally fell into your lap. And I think Brian Harson was a great hire too because what Auburn needed was to go, or what a lot of fans wanted was to go in a different direction and go outside of the box. And they got a guy. They got a guy that didn't, that wasn't this insular SEC Auburn guy that went out and got that. I think they're both very good hires. But Gus Malzahn going to an inferior conference and a smaller school is just more, it's just in a more impressive hire than what Auburn did. I'm also pumped about in terms of the Harson hire. What also else I'm pumped, I'm pumped about is is this this is Alan Green's guy. This is the athletic director putting yeah. his foot down and making this decision. We'll see if it works out. It could work out. It could not work out. I think Harson's a good hire. I love the you know I love the experience that he brings to the table a lot. I value that experience of eight years because like he's already gone through the lean years of being a head coach, the learning years of being a head coach. Malzahn's first three or four years, he's still learning how to be a head coach. He's still learning things about the job. You've now gone through two full recruiting cycles, you know, of, of a guy, you know, four years each. You know, you've, you've gone through that long. Like, you've seen two classes, you know, go all the way through. Like, that that means something to me, that he he's seasoned. He He's almost had a decade of coaching experience. You know, you know a thing or two about the job by that point. Uh, and, and then we're about to be going to a break, so we'll we'll have the top head coaching hire, which I think everybody can probably imagine what that is. We'll have the top head coaching hire, and it also there's also some news actually about that from from a little bit out west from us that Texas has been yeah there, there's the hint there Texas has been doing some things out there on the recruiting trail recently, so we'll talk about that on the other side of this break here on on the line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. On the line with Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and Jacob Hillman on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Thank you for joining us on today's show. You can find Levi and I on Twitter at Point Gardner at Levi Fitzwater and then Jacob at Jacob underscore Hillman 
three. Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. Some off-season football topics here. We've been ranking the top coaching hires of 2021, and we've worked our, our way all the way down to number one here. Five, we got Butch Jones at Arkansas State, Clark Lee at four to Vanderbilt, three, Brian Harson to Auburn, two, Gus Malzahn to UCF, and now the top coaching hire, as you may expect, and I don't think this is close. Steve Sarkeesian to Texas is honestly I, I'm having a hard time thinking of a coaching hire recently that feels like this could shake up college football I I, I don't I like like really big like I, I'm trying to think of recent years hires the only hesitation I have with that is I felt the same way when they got Herman so I'm trying to be a little bit it's more fair, reserved. But that was four years ago. I, agreed. I, I feel like I'm a little bit more reserved in being excited. But I think Sarkeesian has come a long way and has a little bit more experience than like he has more he has more big name experience than I think Herman had. You know, he was coming from Houston at the time. For me, it's more about Texas than it is about Sarkeesian. Yeah, I think they made the perfect hire with Sarkeesian. But yeah, it's more about Texas because, like he said, with Herman, about the same thing. But I don't blame Herman all the way for it. I think Herman had his issues, but it was more about Texas. With that being said, I do agree. I think that this could very much be the next major shakeup in college football because they might move into Oklahoma's position, winning the Big 12 every year. I think the last time, y'all help me out here, like someone bring up just a list of teams or something and, and help me here, but I think the last big one since this that I felt this way was Harbaugh to Michigan. I mean, that's a good one, too. That it hasn't quite panned out as much as they it would have thought. It hasn't shook up college football. But Not like I thought. He's I thought, won. I thought, that was the, I thought that's exactly how that was going to go. I mean, look, we have to – wasn't the previous coach before Harbaugh, Brady Hoke? Yes. Look, yes. Harbaugh led them out of that. Yeah. Michigan's hey, program Bra- was – Brady as, Hoke took him to a sugar bowl. And then <laughs> what happened? He, he took him steady to a decline. sugar bowl. It went he steady decline. Sugar bowl steady decline. <laughs> Guys got their heads knocked off in oh, an outback sure. bowl after oh, that yeah. sugar bowl, my man. Uh, exactly. <laughs> that, that, that was all in jest, by the way. I want to make yeah. sure that's clear that I am definitely joking about and I, Brady And Hoke's I thought tenure. Brady Hoke was hype at San Diego State, but you know, since then, obviously, Michigan's program, they went to the, they went to the cellar, and maybe not the cellar completely of the Big Ten because that's, that's reserved for some of the most putrid teams in all of Power 5 conferences. But Michigan de- definitely was in a bad place, and Harbaugh has led them out of that. And he does not get credit for that whatsoever. I don't know if you should because Michigan's a top-tier program historically in college football, and they want to be competing for national championships. I mean, Harbaugh is very much so like your Gus Malzahn, your Les Miles at a big-time program that's having a hard time hanging around because they're not winning championships well they also have to go against ohio state i mean that's one of the most oh, yeah. cl- it's it's a very similar michigan situation. is auburn north yeah, yeah. it's in very terms of just ri- rivalry hierarchy the way you're going at it against that rivalry plus i mean where you're finishing i mean michigan and auburn have finished relatively close in record most years and there's a good reason for that one of them has to go against alabama one of them's going against ohio state so it's really not that surprising that those two schools are so comparable. Like, did we feel this way about Florida hiring Dan Mullen? No. Like, I, it's almost a I've consensus that I, this thing at Texas is going to work with That is Sarkeesian. the closest thing to it in the sense hardball. That is the closest thing to it. And it seems like it's panning out that way. In my opinion, I think Florida's starting to get up there and they're going to be really good. But no, when, when he got hired, I didn't think that. I mean, I, this one's dated, but I mean, Urban Meyer to Ohio State felt like a felt like that. But I mean, that was 
you know, forever. Harbaugh was after that, right? Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm saying. I mean, that was Not forever long, ago. Was it long after Harbaugh that? Harbaugh was yeah. a few years. Was after the tattoo gate, so 2012 or 13. Because Ohio State had that one really bad year. No, Harbaugh didn't come around to like 15. 15 but correct. Urban Meyer was around, yeah, 12 yes. or 13. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was before. That's why I said that's the only one that I can think of that where you were like, this is going to shake up everything. Like, it's been Ohio- a while since Brian Kelly went to Notre Dame, but I don't know. I didn't if, feel but, that way. I didn't feel was, that way. I right, didn't feel was, that way. He was coming from Cincinnati. You didn't think, oh, this thing's shaking up college football. Like, did not feel that this way. This is at an all. earthquake move. See, I think part of it is just the way college football is these days you don't get this many opportunities to hire a guy like this yeah because i mean my thought is it's the same teams in the playoff every year like boy i don't nothing's changing Dabo's still there nit saban's still there ryan day is doing a great job at ohio state lincoln riley at oklahoma none of them are meet are moving yet so i i thought that i'm i'm probably alone in this i thought this way with peterson to washington and it did shake it up a bit. They made a playoff. I mean, they got thumped in the playoff. But I don't, I don't think it was cataclysmic. Yeah, exactly. Felt across all of college. That's, I thought it could have been. That's why I said I think I'm alone in what I think. Like I think it could have been because I was just I was big on Boise State. I watched a lot of Boise State when I was younger and around that age. So I always was like, yeah, Peterson to Washington. You give him that, he's in. And he took him to a playoff, and he had historically them competing. Chris Peterson has been a better coach than Sarkeesian in a head job. I would agree with you there. It's all about location there for me. There's yeah. no way for the rest of college football to feel something cataclysmic from the far northwest corner of the country in oh, Seattle. Agreed. agreed. That's why I said I think I'm alone in when I felt this way. But it's it's Texas. You're getting Sarkeesian, who's flashy, great offense, a great hire. It's at Texas. As long as they can just keep the program funk that they've yeah. had like I, there's no better way to put it that little there's a rain cloud over them what about james franklin to penn state okay that one was a big one but i don't think it was, was quite as big because he was coming from vanderbilt i don't think it was as big i so right now i think the one that we're landing on that's like this is the biggest one since urban meyer is that what we're saying yeah i think so i think it's like urban meyer than the john the jim harbaugh one like um, the, the, i thought these three My- are big shake i thought les miles was going to shake up the big 12 at kansas but i mean i thought he'd get it back to a bowl game by I, now yeah i at least thought they would you know be above 500 teams but i think that's just more of a testament to what kansas is and not what les miles is i don't think that's any indication on les miles i think that is just all kansas and that program right now there's been nothing else in the sec that i can think of well, Jimbo to A and M. Yeah, that one's a big one. That one might be the most recent. I think that's more. One. I think that's more of people being hopeful that maybe Alabama can get knocked off. I think that was more of it shook it in the sense of it took Florida State a bit out of it. Like yeah. I think that was the big one. It wasn't necessarily like oh A and M's now going to be this top dog. I think it was yeah. Well, Florida State's really eh, we're not worrying about them as much anymore. I don't. I didn't think that about Fisher, but I do think that that. There were people that did think that. There were people that thought that. I didn't either. I agree with you. I, I was not sold that Fisher was just going to completely flip the hierarchy in the SEC because no. Alabama's he, there. Now, if Alabama wasn't there, if Nick Saban wasn't doing what he was doing, then sure, but the the path just wasn't there. And I think Fisher still has a chance to kind of do that. I don't know. I think they're about to take a big step back this you year. You think so? You lose Without your offensive Mond, line. Yeah. I mean, they're you lose, lose your offensive line. You lose your quarterback. You're in trouble. They're going to lose to Dustin Crum and them boys of Kent State. Watch out. <laughs> and also take it. into account how many teams are going to be experienced this year. A lot of them. There are going to be a ton of teams with experience just because of just guys coming back. A&M is not going to be one of those teams. They're breaking in a new QB. Even if their offensive line decided to return, they're still having to break in a new QB. 
That's going to be tough to do. Could, yeah. Could Kellen Mond have came back? Yes. With yep. like that, I think he should have. He should have stayed yeah. there forever. He he's on that uh, Hunter. He's Refro. not going to work. He's in on the that league. Hunter Refro scholarship. Just go ahead and have one more, you know, one more run with your boys because it's not going to work in the league. I was talking earlier about Bo Nix as a passer and then Malik Willis and like at some point during the span of a football game, you have to be able to make that elite caliber throw if you're going to be a championship level quarterback. And Kellen Mond isn't capable of doing that for a variety of reasons i don't think he possesses the top level arm strength to be able to fit a ball to be able to spin a ball into a window with accuracy i'm not talking about being able to throw it 70 yards down the field i mean being able to fit a ball into a tight window with velocity to be able to drive in a throw i don't think he's got that i also don't think he has quick enough decision making he's he's an off-brand alex smith like he's if you went to walmart and got the great value (laughs) brand of alex smith that's what you get in kelamond and, and that's not me trying to be – Alex Smith's a wonderful player. He is. But he was borderline trying to get up into the you know top tier dream. of quarterbacks in the league. Talk about a quarterback who's deceptively slow, Kellen Mond. You, I always thought he was fast coming out of like uh, high just, school. and then he's, he's just, tall and big. And, and, he's, yeah, and he moves. And like he, he gets out of the pocket yeah. a lot, but he is slow. He always had escapability. And that's what like, I thought – I thought – speed paired with his escapability but it didn't it was just he was a little bit more of elusive in the pocket it's, it's like the opposite of Patrick Mahomes when Patrick Mahomes starts running I get, west coast I get very I'm like whoa I didn't realize Patrick Mahomes is this fast it's like the exact but then opposite. you ask Patrick Mahomes though to change direction and it's like his body doesn't even yeah, turn they're, they're literally like opposites of each other with yeah. how they are with their uh, skill sets so Sarkeesian to Texas is a is a big deal I think we can agree with this last last major splash hire that that like that we would evaluate higher than this maybe was urban to ohio state harbaugh to michigan or, or jimbo fisher to AM. well i think that because of the state of the big 12 because sarcasian can come in and dominate pretty easily and oklahoma's the only team in his way and obviously ames is the black hole of college football at iowa state but still and texas has beaten oklahoma more recently than michigan's been able to topple ohio state absolutely yeah the gap between oklahoma texas is not as great as the gorge between exactly. ohio state and michigan i just think that oklahoma is so established right now that it's kind of it's gonna be difficult to knock them off there's always that tough trip to stillwater don't forget about that tough yeah. trip to stillwater in november so that now always that happens. we've now that we've you know shown our work and we have gone through the full math equation here i, I would say that this is the most cataclysmic hire in college football that we've seen since Ohio State took up Urban Meyer. I still think I still think Jim Harbaugh was bigger. It just didn't pan out the way that the like. I think if you're looking at it from the when it happened, yeah. but the path to it happened to to like we knew at the time that Harbaugh got hired, there was the, the we were in the thick of the Urban Meyer. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because you can look at yeah, that, that's agreed. I agree with that from the simple fact that the Big Twelve is they had just won wide. a national championship at Ohio State when they hired Jim Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. Big Twelve is pretty wide open outside of Oklahoma, and you've beaten Oklahoma recently. I mean, that's your rival. That's always going to be a big game. It's really, it's can you beat Oklahoma and not lose at Kansas? You know, not lose to Kansas State, Oklahoma State, or. Who am I thinking of? Iowa State. There we go. Had a blank. The black hole. It, it sucked away from me. <laughs> and and the, what you guys are getting at there is the Big 12 is ripe. It's ripe to be It's ripe to be taken up because even Oklahoma doesn't have a stranglehold over the Look, league anymore. Iowa State, Iowa State is exactly. firm yeah. to stay right now. They extended Matt Campbell's contract out for like, you know, to 2028. Like Iowa State may not win the league every year, but teams like Iowa State and Oklahoma State – the uh, you know they're they're going to give you a bad day every year. Kansas State's beaten Oklahoma the past couple of years and it's messed them up for being able to. They're still going to make the conference title, but it's not without it's not without a doubt their league. 
Yeah, and I mean, it's not a new coaching hire, but you hit on it, extending Matt Campbell. That's also a big coaching keeping. I mean, I guess you're keeping him around. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not the a, biggest coaching keeping I mean, of like, the cycle. Yes, yeah, it. like that's a big one. That's a big one that they kept him around and didn't get anybody new and didn't lose him to anybody else. That's a big one, too. More uh, Texas news out there on the recruiting trail. This is a big, this is a big, big news bit out there, and we'll get to that on the other side of this. Right, this this pertains to to all of college football. Like we put on notice because Texas just got a major player to commit to them. Now signing's another thing, but this guy committed to the Longhorns recently, and uh, this, this is going to be a big deal. I, I think Sark will hold on to this guy. Oh, yeah, because he, he seems committed to, to Sarkeesian and, and his style of play and everything. We'll get to that on the other side of this break and wrap up the show here on On the Line. <laughs> Wrapping up On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, Jacob Hillman with you. Before we wrap up our number one, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Some people think playing Monopoly for a few hours is so boring. What if you were trapped inside a game for 26 years? Jumanji is on AMC at 7. Terminator 2 Judgment Day is on BBC at 7. Gerard Butler and Aaron Eckhart star in Olympus Has Fallen on Sci-Fi at 6.30. Tuesday's college basketball schedule starts in the Big East at 5.30 on FS1 with Providence at UConn. At the 6 p.m. time slot, Michigan State is at Purdue on ESPN. Over on ESPN2, Florida is at number 24, Arkansas, and stay in the SEC with number 20, Missouri, at Georgia on SEC Network. On Big Ten Network, Nebraska is at Maryland. At 8 p.m., Northwestern and number 5, Illinois, square off on Big Ten Network as well. In the NBA, we've got two games on TNT starting at 6.30 with the Pelicans at the Grizzlies, and at 9, the Nets are at the Suns. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Wrapping up the show here in our last segment of On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, Jacob Hillman with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We got six minutes till the drive with Bill Cameron follows us here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We just wrapped up ranking our top coaching hires of 2021. Five, Butch Jones to Arkansas State. Four, Clark Lee to Vanderbilt. Three, Brian Harson to Auburn. Two, Gus Malzahn to UCF. And one, Steve Sarkeesian to texas and i specifically want to center center in here on steve sarkeesian to texas we talked about the hire being cataclysmic in the last segment but now let's talk about the recruiting pool that he just made only a commitment and take that for what it's worth as far as commitments are concerned in this day and age of college football because when a guy commits it does not mean he's committed and commitment means a whole different thing in college football but if this guy ends up signing with texas this is his his Jalen Hurts this is his you know I'm trying to think the first you know major quarterback that Alabama got that wasn't like your prototypical game manager I was a big fan of Aaron uh, of AJ McCarron I thought he was a really good quarterback especially his last year with the numbers he was putting up but I'm talking about like a star at quarterback and you know Jalen Hurts was that guy like this is a Jalen Hurts like commitment to Texas with Malik Murphy the number two pro style quarterback he's 6'5 225 the guy can move the guy is not just a statue uh this guy looks like he could be a this guy looks like he's going to be a big deal five-star quarterback 
for this class. Like this is this recruiting class. We're no longer on 2021 anymore. That just wrapped up. This is the 2022 recruiting cycle. This guy will be on campus next season, not this year, but next season. This guy, if he signs with Texas, will be on campus. And you know, if he's a five-star, you're ready to start as a freshman. Most five stars, most five stars this day and age are ready to go as a freshman. He could be out there quick. Yeah, and it's Texas, so it's not like. Cesar Sarkeesian is having to build a bunch of talent around him. He's going to have his guy coming in, and there's already going to be talent around him, especially coming off. Texas hasn't been awful. Texas hasn't been awful. So well, you know how they've recruited recruit. over the last couple of years? Has it not been great? Oh, no, it's been amazing. Hey, yeah. They have, over the last four years, they have at least two of those years, they had top three recruiting classes. Yeah, I mean. They finished third, but That's yes. the thing, is that he's got the talent. It's just all about bringing in the key pieces, and this is one of those. He's got talent already on the roster, and now he's bringing in a guy who can, you know, play. I don't want to say that this guy's. Let, let's, let, I'm not even going to say Vince Young. You know, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> even going to get there. But this is a huge deal for Texas, and getting in a guy like and and, and what was key about this guy? I saw this in an ESPN article. You can go and find it. I was reading it, and and, and you know, there's a 24/7 Sports article about it as well. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there about this guy committing because of how big of a deal this is. But he was talking about that everything that he mentioned there about Sarkeesian was like, I know the types of plays he's going to call for me. I know the offense, the scheme. Like, it was all confidence and Steve Sarkeesian's offensive mind and what he, and how he's going to make him look. And that is so true. That's what we've talked about this being a huge hire in college football and why it's cataclysmic because we saw what he was able to do with the offensive playmakers at Alabama. And that was against, like, pretty good defenses. Like, he was doing it against pretty good defenses. Mm-hmm. He dropped 40-plus on Auburn in 2019 on a Kevin Steele defense that had Nick Fairley on it, you know, or not Nick Fairley, <laughs> Derek Brown, excuse me. <laughs> what am I saying? Uh, he, 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 you know, he dropped major points on, on, on good defenses, great defenses that had, you know, future NFL talent on it. He's now going to a league that is not known for its NFL talent on defense, that is not known for great defenses. He's going to a I league. I thought they were playing seven on seven in that league. That's right. I didn't think they even had That's right. real defense over there. It's like, do they even have linebackers in this, in this league? But, the Big Twelve maybe has one or two good defenses every year. And by you know, and by good, I mean like they're good for Big Twelve standards. They're not good for like other leagues. This year, they maybe even had more better defenses than the SEC did. But that, I don't expect that to continue. West Virginia had a good defense. Oklahoma State had a good defense. Even Texas had a pretty good defense. And Oklahoma's got better as the year went on. So I, I thought the Big Twelve defenses were better this year than than average. But the Big Twelve is not known for that. They're going to go back out to shootout football. And he's bringing in a player that can light up a scoreboard. And, I mean, with his offensive mind, I mean, it just everything's clicking. And now he's bringing in high-profile recruits. This guy's from California, so it's not like he's playing in Nick Saban's sandbox. It's not like he's playing in the Southeastern Conference sandbox. He can keep it in Texas and everything west of Texas, and he is going to have an elite program in the Big 12. If you can go out as, as the head coach of Texas – if you can go out to California and pull guys like this, you are going to have some amazing recruiting class. Because you're all, all that in-state talent, man, that's already great. But if you can go out to California too, wow. It says a lot that this recruit, Malik Murphy, the number two overall pro-style quarterback, five-star QB from California, it says a lot that he's choosing to go to Texas instead of USC, UCLA, Oregon, Stanford. Or Washington. We'll I mean, throw Washington in there. He's not choosing to go to any of those Pac-12 schools. None of them. He went to Texas. USC is a, USC and UCLA right now are, are letting other programs from anywhere in the country, elite programs from anywhere in the country, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, 
They're letting those teams, now Texas, come into their come into th- come onto their turf <laughs> and take their guys. That's why USC's not an elite program anymore. That's why UCLA's down. I think UCLA will be back up next oh, year. Yeah. But UCLA is going to be a contender next year. They're not cleaning up in Cali. And uh, Texas just did. That's a big commitment. Cataclysmic, maybe, for college football. We could see this guy, you know, in a Heisman conversation one day. Five-star quarterback. He'll be in the mix. That's it for another edition of On the Line. we got the drive with Bill Cameron following us. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. You know where to find us.